turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country cheers Sweet land of liberty of the As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Outstanding job, by the way, by our producer extraordinaire, Jonathan Hiles, puts, puts together the uh, top of the hour opens, uh, had to rework some things. Phenomenal job, as always, gets us fired up and ready to go. Uh, each and every hour. So thank you to Johnny, and thank you to you for listening to us. Welcome. It's 10 minutes after 9 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on this Thursday. It's the third morning of the eighth month in the year of our Lord, 2023. And it's an important one. First of all, this is going to be my last time talking to you live about the importance of passing Issue 1. Tomorrow... Dakota Sawyer and the uh, Monday Night Roundtable crew are going to be in. Uh, on Monday, as I am out of state uh, with family obligations, my, my uh, uh, or excuse me, uh, Khalid Namar will be in for me. And then on Tuesday, Peter Kersenow, that's election day. So um, this is the last pitch that I'm going to be able to give you live for issue one. So I'm going to make the most of that today. Coming up um, at 11.10 this morning at the top of hour number three, we're going to talk to Shannon Burns. Uh, about that, they have got a very cool announcement to make. Somebody is uh, is going to be here. 
All right, let's try this again now. 14 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock. Uh, I just, um, I'm at a loss. I'm at a loss. That's all I can say. Why, why, why? I have no earthly idea. If I wanted to be a conspiratorial guy, I would say somebody is trying to silence our voices and we're being tampered with. It might not be that far outside the realm of possibility. <laughs> why, we just get started. Everything was fine with you, Hewitt, this morning. We just get started, and suddenly, signal cut. Solar flares? Sure, that must be it. Uh, it's bizarre. I, I don't know. I don't want to be a conspiratorial guy. I don't. I just, I'm not generally that guy, but I will tell you that. Uh, I am really, really wondering when I start to see more and more and more of these outages and these interruptions of our signal. Uh, to, uh, I'm wondering who's trying to make sure we're not hearing anything. Or you're not hearing, rather, what we have to say. Anyway, we're back, and uh, thanks for suffering through whatever the hell just caused that. But uh, let me, I don't know where you where I got cut off, to be 100% honest with you, so I'm going to start over. And I'm going to tell you that today is um, my last chance to pitch live um, the passage of Issue 1 on Tuesday. Today is Thursday, obviously. And um, tomorrow... Dakota Sawyer and the crew from the Monday Night Roundtable are going to fill in for me. On Monday, um, you're going to have uh, Khalid Damar. He's going to be sitting in for me. And then on Tuesday, Election Day, the two-minute warning, if you will, in our metaphorical football game, Peter Kersenau will have you for the entire three hours on Election Day Tuesday. So this is going to be my last chance to pitch <clears throat> Um, the passage of issue two to you coming up. And again, I apologize if I repeat, if you're already hearing this, or if you're hearing this for the second time, because I don't know where the signal got axed. But um, at the top of hour number three, we're going to talk to Shannon Burns, who says there is a special guest coming in to help rally, a get out the vote rally on Monday. And I think that's all kind of cool. I'm going to let him tell you who it is. That'll be coming up at the top of hour number three. Uh, in hour number two, we have two conversations. One is with our cultural general, uh, Dr. Everett Piper, for his regular 1010 appointment. He's got a few issues and things that he's written about that uh, we're going to discuss that I'm going to let him kind of talk about. <clears throat> and then we're also going to talk to Dr. Carol Swain. It's been a bit uh, since I've talked to Dr. Swain. Dr. Carol Swain has some uh, some really important and serious thoughts on the ongoing this is part of the culture war too but it's also just part of the marxism of america that is being pushed and practiced by the radical left including the interminably stupid kamala harris a flamingly stupid on fire with stupidity she is a veritable stampede of stupid uh it's just such a shameful embarrassment that of all the 330-plus million people in this country, she's one of the top two that leads it. And and the other one is completely cognitively unavailable, so she's actually arguably the most powerful person in a nation of 330 million people, and she's a blithering idiot. Kamala Harris has decided to attack Florida again and again and again with the same lie about Florida's uh, curriculum when it per- uh, pertaining to slavery. Curriculum that was written by academics who could run 50 million circles around her with their intelligence, their knowledge of history, including slavery, and she is continuing to spin the lie that Florida's educators, at the behest 
of uh, Governor Ron DeSantis uh, trying to claim that slavery was a benefit to slaves. African Americans uh, were better off because of slavery. It is, of course, ridiculous. Peter Kersenau and I talked about that on Tuesday. Dr. William Allen, who is an African-American academic, one of the uh, authors of the curriculum who wrote this thing, which, by the way, is one small, teeny, tiny, little lesson in an entire year-long unit on slavery in America, uh, what, how it began, what it was like during, what happened after, how it was ended, the whole nine yards. It's, I mean, it really is. It's one of the most comprehensive lessons or uh, uh, units, I should say, of study on the issue of slavery in America. It's, it's remarkable. Uh, but they found one line in one small lesson and decided to. Uh, anyway, uh, Ron DeSantis is challenging the uh, the baffling, bafflingly stupid um, diversity hire that is Vice President Kamala Harris. Yeah, that's why she's there. She's a diversity hire. He has. Um, Challenged her to a debate. Why don't you come on down here and let's have a discussion? Do it in front of a group of people. We do it on camera. Do it wherever you want. Let's talk about what the actual curricula is. Let's talk about the actual experience uh, that is being discussed here. And Kamala Harris, like the, well, she is she is incalculably stupid, but she's smart enough to know that she should run like hell. When Ron DeSantis challenges her to a debate, that's what she did. Nope, nope, I don't need to get on a debate stage to say that slavery did not benefit black people. Yes, you do, because you're telling lies about what that curricula says, and uh, Ron DeSantis would take you to school. Um, so we're going to talk about that with Dr. Carol Swain. Uh, we just we haven't done enough of that because we've been so locked into the indictments, the Biden first family of crime, uh, Devin Archer's testimony, issue one. We've gotten locked into so many other things. This very important part of our cultural uh, wars uh, has been uh, neglected. So we're going to talk about that with Dr. Swain coming up at 1035. So there you have it. Dr. Piper at 1010, Dr. Swain at 1035, and Dr. Burns, Shannon Burns at 1110. And, of course, I welcome you at 216-901-0945, Now, before we get into some of the top news of the day, I do want to ask you to stand up and uh, pledge your allegiance to our flag and the wonderful republic for which it stands. Let's, uh, Let's remind everybody that if you are a believer in communism, Socialism, democratic socialism or socialism, it is all still socialism. If you believe in those principles, then you just might be a Democrat. You also do not believe in the liberty and the represent, uh, representative republic that this country was founded as. And therefore, you don't have to stand and pledge your allegiance to the flag that stands for those things. You can take a knee over there next to the fellow socialist, communist, Marxist, Democrat and ex-quarterback that we have all been making fun of for the last several years. You kneel next to them while the rest of us stand and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You uh, you do know where those communists and democratic socialists uh, and Marxists kneel, don't you? When they kneel during our pledge or during the anthem, you know where they kneel in Ohio? 
they kneel over there with all of the other vote no on issue one people. The opponents of issue one count among their ranks the Democrat Socialist Party of uh, the United States, the Democrat Socialist Party of Ohio, the Revolutionary Communist Party United States. They have all issued their official endorsements of no on issue one. They don't like constitutions either, particularly those that actually protect and preserve um, the foundational, uh, you know, and guide the government, obviously, that they oppose. They don't like uh, the Democratic Republic system of government, the constitutional republic that we are. They don't like capitalism. They don't like freedom. They don't like Second Amendment rights. They don't like pro-life policies. They all have that in common. Socialists, communists, Marxists, and American Democrats, and those voting no on issue one. They all have that in common. I said in a speech the other day in Brexville, uh, I think this is where it was. I get confused with all the different people that I speak with, but I think that's where it was when I pointed out that, you know, sometimes you can judge a man by the company he keeps. Show me a man's friends, and I will show you the man. And if you are counting among your friends, communists, socialists, and Marxists, if you're counting among your friends people who literally do not believe in the representative republic form of government that we have, if you count among your friends Those who can't tell the difference between a constitution and a revised code, one of which is by very design and definition intended to be revised, laws to be added, laws to be repealed, laws to be amended and changed. That's the Ohio Revised Code, and that's where you go if you don't like the heartbeat law in the state of Ohio. That's where to go if you don't like the gun rights that are granted in the state of Ohio. That's where you go if you don't like anything, quite frankly, about the Ohio system of laws. You go to the lawmakers, and you demand them to be changed. And if you don't get what you want, then you vote out those lawmakers, and you vote in new ones. You vote in new leaders at the state uh, uh, statewide elected positions. You vote in a new governor. You vote in a new uh, lieutenant governor. You vote for a new secretary of state and a new attorney general, a new treasurer, new auditor. You vote out Supreme Court, Ohio Supreme Court justices when their terms are up and you put in new ones. There is a way to do what you want to do if you don't like what the laws say in our state. You know what way is not one of those? Selling out the Constitution going directly to the foundational document which governs how our state is run. It is not the Ohio Revised Code. It essentially supersedes. It is above the Ohio Revised Code. It's foundational. And it is ironclad. To amend it should take something extraordinary. To amend an ironclad declaration of how our state is governed should take a very, very strong number of people. A very, very significant majority of Ohioans must think that our Constitution is flawed 
And it needs to be changed in a very profound way. And, and this is how many of us say so. For that ironclad, etched in stone, or whatever type of uh, euphemism you want for something that is supposed to be foundational and unchanging, unless under extraordinary circumstances, that document, that document is meant to stand the test of time. It is not meant to be sold, access to it sold, and replace the Ohio Revised Code. That is not what it's meant for. If you want to come and change that ironclad foundational bedrock of the state of Ohio, similar to the bedrock that is the United States Constitution for our entire country, you want to change that, you better have a very significant majority of Ohioans who say, yeah, that's got to happen now. But that's not what the people opposed to issue one want. That's not what they're bringing. As a matter of fact, they know they can't bring a significant majority to amend and change that ironclad constitution on a willy-nilly basis to change and write into constitution the most radical extremist positions in our entire country today. Things like abortion on demand, stripping parents' rights to guide their children if they are indeed minors and find themselves in such a situation, making a literal life-and-death decision for the unborn child and a life-changing decision for the teenage impregnated daughter, allowing that child to go and have an abortive procedure without parental advice, without parental consent, knowledge, allowing children to change their sex, which of course is both medically, physically, and scientifically and biologically impossible, but to butcher their own bodies in a in a in a in an in vain attempt to do so again without parental involvement. The no on issue one people think you ought to be able to put that stuff in the Constitution without an a significant majority of the state saying, yeah, that's what should be in our foundational ironclad document. They want to be able to do it with just half the state. Half. 50%. It's all it takes. If half of us say yes and half of us say no and one voter tips our way, I, I change the entire Constitution where the entire nearly 12 million Ohioans forever again etched into stone. This is what we're up against. And this is why it is so extraordinarily important for you to get out and bank your vote today or tomorrow, or if your Board of Elections is open on Saturday, or if it's open when it will be open on Monday. Do not wait until till Tuesday and just trust that you'll be able to get in line and cast your vote without a problem. Do not trust it. Get it done early. Vote yes on issue one. And tell those communists, socialists, Marxists and Democrats who oppose it, that they will not buy Ohio's liberty. They will not buy Ohio's rights. They will not buy Ohio's constitution. It is not for sale. I'll be back after the news.
giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always Right Radio with Bob France and The Answer. Okay, 936. So since this is the last uh, day that I'll be live uh, and able to talk about these things, I'm going to hit it a lot harder today, but I also want to hit a number of other things that... um, we didn't talk about this week. We have been so all over the first family of crime and the Devin Archer A-bomb. By the way, Tucker Carlson got a one-on-one with uh, with Devin Archer. I, w- I watched and listened to it last night. I was on the road for quite a bit last night. And uh, and I, so I, I popped it on my, uh, my, my phone and listened to it through my car speakers. And I was just loving, first of all, not only the fact that Devin Archer was telling the truth about the 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 big guy, uh, the guy at the top of the first family of crime, then Vice President Joe Biden. He laid out chapter and verse uh, about things that Joe Biden did as vice president, specifically in support of Hunter and Devin Archer's overseas business dealings. In fact, he read, or actually he allowed Tucker to read to the audience, um, a letter that Joe Biden wrote in 2011, while Joe Biden was vice president, he was obviously vice president from 08 to 16. Um, in 2011, a letter to Devin Archer complaining about the fact that he had to have this dinner meeting or whatever with uh, uh, one of the Chinese leaders, and he would rather have been talking with him. And he said, thank you for being in business or partners or whatever with my son. I'm so glad you guys got together. We're going to do big things. And I'm paraphrasing it all. But the point is, he wrote a letter to Devin Archer specifically about the business that he and Hunter Biden, his son, were involved in together, and that Joe Biden is going to be a part of or was going to be a part of. So I love the fact that Archer kind of quoted chapter and verse, as I said, um, exactly what went down, completely exposing Joe Biden as the pathological liar that he is. I've never talked to my son about his overseas business dealing. I've never talked to my son about anything having to do with business. I've always kept that separate. Exposed him as the liar that he is. I love that Archer did that. Second of all, I love that he did it on Tucker's Twitter interview space, and Fox News couldn't touch it. (laughs) They asked for a divorce from Tucker Carlson and got it. Tucker gets the one-on-one with Devin Archer, and, you know, I turned on Fox and Friends this morning, as I do most mornings. I bounce around the cable channels while also listening to Hugh Hewitt and try to figure out what other people are saying, and Fox News couldn't touch it. Unless I missed it while I was listening to you or something. Fox News couldn't even acknowledge that it existed because then they would have to acknowledge the existence of Tucker Carlson's Twitter space. So it's just amazing as they try to provide coverage of the Devin Archer A-bomb. I call him Archer Archerheimer now because he's like Oppenheimer, uh, what he's doing to the first family. But uh, they, they couldn't even discuss it. We can, and we can even play some of it, and I will. So I've been all over that. Uh, obviously, all over the indictment of Trump. He's going to be arraigned today on the third for the third time. This time, of course, on the January sixth. By far more ridiculous even than the hush money uh, uh, crap uh, put forth by overstuffed Alvin Bragg in Manhattan, and worse than the you know far more laughable, I guess I should say, than the. Uh, uh, classified documents garbage in Florida, uh, the January 6th one by special prosecutor, special uh, uh, counsel Jack Smith is, is, is by far the worst. So we've been all over that. And I have neglected to talk about a few other things that are local. So I'm going to do that here. 
um, in addition to the guests that we have coming up. And our first one I want to hit that, we again, we have not talked about all week long is what's going on in Parma. This is a story that is worth our discussion because we talk on a fairly regular basis about the Second Amendment and about our, our, our rights to bear arms, and we have talked about how to best protect our schools. We all have seen enough of the you know, copycat school shooters. Somebody gets down in the dumps, somebody's girlfriend breaks up with them, somebody's got some sort of issue or another, and I'm going to go and shoot up a school. It is happening way too often, we know that. And the issue, or the, excuse me, the solution to this issue cannot be, should not be, must not be, violating the Second Amendment rights of the people, which is what they think will stop it. They're stupid because they're, they're, they're leftist uh, gun control nuts. So what is the best way to stop school shootings? It's not to disarm the population. It is to arm whom? It is to arm the staff. It is to arm the educators and or the security personnel who voluntarily take the training. And in Parma, they figured it out. Not time yet to think about going back to school. Playing is more important right now. But when children leave the pool and the playground going back to Parma schools, some staff members may be armed. And a lot of folks say they don't know how to feel about this right now, but wonder what else can be done. Make sure, you know, all the doors are locked, all is, everything's secure. Uh, maybe have a hotline to the police station. Uh, also, more training in certain situations for the teachers. But school violence and mass shootings are all too real. In a statement, Parma Superintendent Charles Smilek says, in part, we have seen a continuation of school shootings and other violent acts in districts across the country. We find it only prudent to provide selected staff members with the ability to arm themselves as one more deterrent to violence. The district says the names of staff members who are armed and where they are in the district will be kept private, and staffers who decide to take part will have to undergo training. The statement goes on to say... Further, we will work closely with the Parma Police Department to ensure that our staff members who carry receive similar training to our local officers. Resolution authorizing certain employees to possess firearms on school property. And At a board meeting where the measure was approved unanimously, the superintendent says they're taking all the steps they can to help keep campuses safe and to do it with respect to staff concerns and security needs. This is not anything where someone who doesn't want to armed all of a sudden has to make that decision or lose their job. That is not the goal. The goal is simply to take people who are qualified, who can make safe decisions, who have you know, passed various licensures and certifications, and allow them to be one more tool in keeping our students safe. The district has not said that they already have trained staff members ready to go this fall, but the program will begin this school year. And for folks in Parma, many believe that it's just a shame that it has all come down to this. This is a sign of the times, too. But uh, what's next? That is a Fox 8 report that we just shared from their website. And uh, thank you to them for the reporting on this. And moreover, and more importantly, thank you, Parma School Board. Thank you for setting the, the pace. I don't know how many other districts in Ohio or around the country are going to follow this. But how can you not? Because at the very tail end of that, it is the new reality. It is the new reality, and the answer cannot be just call the police. In fact, I posted in support of this story on my uh, Twitter feed, uh, I don't know, uh, four, three or four days ago, and somebody said, what's the matter? You don't trust the police to protect us? You want to arm the teachers? And I said, well, of course I trust the police to protect the kids, but 
when seconds count, the police are minutes away. It's not their fault. They just can't be there. They can't be there in big numbers with, um, you know, the ability to stop a shooting before it gets started or just as it gets started before it becomes extraordinarily, you know, deadly. Um, that's the reality of it. So we have said this for a very long time. What Parma needs to do here now is a massive promotional campaign. Massive signs everywhere. Videos. Social media. Let everybody know that we are Parma and we protect our, our children. And we protect our children and our staff and we'll do so with deadly force. Because that is all it takes. Almost exclusively, shooters avoid places that say, concealed carry, welcome here. Patron, staff, and I'm talking about when I say patrons, not always schools here, but, but, but virtually all businesses. The businesses that are targeted are which businesses? The places that have the signs on the door that say no guns allowed. This is a gun-free zone. Well, it's a gun-free zone. I, I certainly wouldn't want to break the law, so I won't go in there and break the law by bringing my firearm into a place. Never mind the fact that the law I'm, real, I'm intending to break is the one that, that says no murdering people. You see, if somebody has a mindset to murder people, they're not going to be deterred by a sign that says, no guns here. They're not going to say, all right, ready to go. Got all my stuff. Got my firearm here. I got my, my, my sidearm on my holster. I got my AR over my shoulder. I got my Kevlar to protect myself. And I'm ready to go. Oh, my gosh. Darn it. <sighs> Plans are foiled. Sign says gun-free zone. I can't take these in there. It's so stupid. What sign works better? The one that says, we will shoot you. We have armed personnel here. We, you don't know who they are, and we're not telling you who they are. You want to come in here and blank around, find out, because exclusively and, and almost instantly and universally, shooters that see that sign will say, this is the wrong school, turning around, going back. This is the wrong business. Turn around, going back. So I just want to give massive, a massive shout out to the uh, good uh, people on the Parma School Board for figuring Daniel it out. Daniel Diggins. And I want to encourage and ask uh, other school districts to do the same thing. There have been a very select few that I've seen online and in schools around the country where they actually have signs on the fences. This is what I meant by a massive, you know, uh, visible campaign to tell everybody don't come here because that is exactly what works. Uh, I hope other schools around the area do this. And I, I did see a couple of messages from Parma parents after I posted that telling me that they feel much safer knowing now that their kids had you know again the guns will probably never need to be deployed the armed staff members will probably never ever show those or have any need to because school shootings while still all too common in the news are by simple raw numbers in the you know how how many schools there are in the country it's still an extraordinarily rare event it's just that of course when they happen it's like oh my gosh another one oh my gosh another one because the news cycle is what it is so while it's still very very rare um you know that it happens those parents of students who have armed security there ready to protect their kids have got to sleep a little bit better they have got to feel a little bit better about it, and that's a, that's the message I was getting from some Parma parents. But if you have different thoughts on it, or the same thoughts, and you want to emphasize it for your district, by all means, two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Now, I've got another school story, 
of local interest to you that I did not get to this week because of our national news and our issue one campaign. I call it our campaign because I'm on I'm on I'm on board with it. <clears throat> That's why I spoke alongside the Secretary of State and Bernie Marino and Jane uh, Jane Timken and others, and uh, we're all on the same side of this thing. But remember the much ballyhooed promise school in Akron that was supposedly quote paid for end quote by LeBron James. It was supposed to be uh, an extraordinary opportunity for some great students in Akron to get out of the Akron public schools and get into this special school, the Promise School, that is going to lift these children to academic heights and achievement never before seen. All because of the blessings of the great King James. Never mind the fact that none of that was true. Akron taxpayers are the ones footing the bill for the overwhelming majority of the costs of for the Promise School built by the billionaire LeBron James. Akron taxpayers are paying the freight. Now let's find out what they're getting for their money. LeBron James I Promise School in Akron, Ohio is facing major backlash now from Akron Public School Board members after it was revealed that the school has not had one single student pass the state math test in over three years. Not one single eighth grader on their way to high school has been able to pass a state math competency exam in the three years of the school. (laughs) I don't want to laugh about it because I feel bad for the kids who aren't getting the education that they need there. Obviously, this is not good for Akron, it's not good for Ohio, it's not good for anybody. But the fact that this school, which was built as a tribute to the massive ego of LeBron James, who is an who is who is one of the biggest frauds and charlatans to come down the line in the history of this state to pass himself off as being some sort of philanthropic concerned uh and and uh, you know intelligent individual um you know it, it's just such a joke knowing that he is a race baiting hoaxer knowing that he has he has demonized police officers knowing that he stands with stands for slavery did you know that did you know that there is current modern day slavery happening in china did you know that they are kept in concentration camps, and that they are tortured just as African slaves were in the United States, and just as many other populations were um, throughout you know American and world history. LeBron James is pro-slavery. How do we know this? Because he refuses to condemn it every time he's asked about his business relationship with Nike and the hundreds of millions of dollars he gets from Nike. It, Nike, of course, is is everything that is King James made with his little crown logo on it is coming from China. When asked, why are you still in business with Chinese companies while they are literally enslaving people, he refuses to answer. So when I call him a fraud, it's not just I'm mad because he left the calves twice. No, he is just a reprehensible human being who is an absolute fraud in trying to paint himself as being some sort of philanthropic thought leader. Akron Public School Board member Valerie McKittrick was shocked by the news 
and stated not one in three years after she was given the data that showed not a single student in the school's eighth grade class in three years could pass a state proficiency test. Keith Lighty Clifford is the Akron uh, Akron District's Director of School Improvement and went on record saying the new finding is discouraging. Despite receiving massive funding... Uh, some from the James Foundation, but the operational funds that belong to the taxpayers, local, state, and federal taxpayers, are the ones that have to pump in all of the extra money into this when it could be going to the, the uh, traditional Akron public schools. The I Promise uh, promises schools, quote, black students and those with disabilities are now testing in the bottom 5% of the state. Let me say that again. The I Promise schools, black students and the students with disabilities, this report was broken down demographically, test in the bottom 5% of the state. What does that mean? That means the Ohio Department of Education now is going to have to intervene at the school. The Ohio Department of Education is going to have to go. The, The glorious I Promise school, which is the elite school, so much better than those, those ratty public schools in Akron. The I Promise School performs worse than the Akron, Akron Public Schools do. Yahoo reported this fall's class of 8th graders at the I Promise School hadn't had a single student pass the state's math test since the group was in 3rd grade. Five years in, a public school that operates in partnership with the LeBron James Family Foundation, Akron School Board members are starting to ask questions about whether it's living up to its academic promise. Not only is it not living up to its academic promise, it is living down to the depths of academic achievement. It's a joke. It was built as a glorification of LeBron James' ego. Nothing more, nothing less. And oh, by the way, The Gateway Pundit reminds us that in June of last year, in 2022, the I Promise School was in the news for a different reason, because of a murder that took place right outside on its grounds. I'm not suggesting that that has anything to do with LeBron James or anything else, but the I Promise School is a joke. No one has been willing to say it now that the statistics prove that this is nothing more than a LeBron James ego stroke and not something that will actually help the kids of Akron. Then maybe the taxpayers of Akron ought to do something here, and that is say no more and defund that ridiculous school. All right, it's 9.54. I've got more local stories to get into that we didn't talk about this week, but they'll wait. They'll keep. We've got a lot of time left this morning on a Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, it's 9.58. To the uh, point that Molly Smith just made there in that uh, promo in support of Issue 1, I want to uh, take a second to address the last caller of yesterday's show who called me and said, uh, Bob, what good is it going to do us to pass issue one when we're talking about trying to save, uh, you know, or to stop rather the, um, uh, the November ballot initiative to, you know, put abortion and, and, and sex changes for minors and everything else into the Ohio Constitution when it says directly that this doesn't take effect until January 1st, 2024. And I said, what are you talking about? I have not heard of that at all. I said, but I will look into it and find out. And I did. I went right to the source, the person who is responsible for it being on the ballot to, uh, on Tuesday, and that is the Secretary of State, Frank LaRose. And I said, Secretary LaRose, if we win, when we win, 
issue number one on uh, Tuesday, will it count? Does it take effect immediately, and will it be in effect in November, requiring a 60% passage, 60% vote to pass it, pass that ballot initiative? Or does it not take place until after January 1st, 2024? And he was very, very clear. It goes into effect immediately for the 60% threshold. What does not go into effect until 2024 is the petition gathering requirements. Because, of course, you can't go back and retroactively now say, oh, this issue that's coming up in November didn't, you know, didn't get 88 counties participation. So the 60% takes effect immediately. 60% must be gained in order to pass that thing in November. And then any new initiatives that are uh, brought forward after January 1st, then they will also have to have the 60% and the 88 uh, county signature requirement. So that's how it works. To that caller, I told you I'd get it, and I got it. And uh, hopefully everybody share that information that, yes, we do indeed intend for uh, the 60% threshold once it passes on Tuesday uh, to be applied in the November election uh, on that ballot initiative. All right, it's 10 o'clock now. I've got Dr. Everett Piper waiting in the wings. He'll be right here on Always Right Radio, AM 1420. The answer. rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed. 11 minutes after 10 o'clock. A little late coming back. Got a little late going out. But let's make the most of our time on this Thursday. It is the third morning of the eighth month in the year of our Lord, 2023. You have just a few days left of early voting on Issue 1. Make sure you vote to support the protection of our Constitution. Yes, on Ohio Issue 1, the special election is Tuesday. But don't wait. Do not trust that you're going to be able to get there on Election Day. We have done that far too many times and suffered as a consequence. Get out there and vote early today. Go to your Board of Elections after work. Go to your Board of Elections tomorrow. Go on Saturday. Go on Monday, whenever you can do it. Get that vote in the bank so that it counts, and it's not just an IOU. Let's welcome, as we do each and every Thursday at this hour, our good friend and one of our leaders in the culture wars, General Dr. Everett Piper on AM 1420, The Answer. Dr. Piper is a best-selling author. He is a weekly columnist, twice weekly, actually, with The Washington Times. He is a former university president. He is also uh, a uh, uh, county commissioner in his native Osage County, Oklahoma. Dr. Piper, good to have you back. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. It's 104 degrees here. Uh, you know, <laughs> it is crazy hot down in Oklahoma right now. I've, I've got friends down in Houston who have uh, kind of kept me up to date on those crazy numbers, and we are seeing the uh, temperatures you know, surging all across the West. Uh, you know, obviously, Midwest Oklahoma, but, but the Southwest and, and the West, the numbers are kind of crazy. So I hadn't heard from anybody talking about Oklahoma, though. So it's, uh, has it been consistent that way, over 100? Uh, we've had about a week of a hundred, uh, hundred plus with, uh, uh, feel factor, um, right. being in the 111, 110, uh, range. So it's hot. It's so just beastly hot down does here. Does that make you want to buy an EV and never use uh, gasoline again? <laughs> well, it makes me want to stay inside and not go outside. You know, <laughs> but here, here, everybody's 
claiming, you know, the world's falling apart, global warming. It's, it's this way all the time down here. Every year you get multiple days in a row in Oklahoma and Texas and down this way that are 100 plus. It's not unusual. No, it's not. And, you know, it, it's kind of funny. And, of course, I was tongue-in-cheek when I said, does it make you want to buy an EV and, of course, jump on the uh, climate change bandwagon and all of the green energy stuff? Hillary Clinton, we didn't talk about this last week, but I think it was a couple of days before our last uh, time together. Hillary Clinton actually said, uh, if it's hot enough for you, blame a Republican. Literally just Great. saying blame Republicans for it being hot during the summertime. <laughs> because this might be the hottest we have had in a very long time. Some are saying in some areas of the country, you know, the hottest on record. And I just find that so laughable because they act as though the earth started just when we started keeping records. As if the earth didn't get very, very hot and then freeze and then get very, very hot again and, and thaw, uh, multiple times through the multiple ice ages and warming periods throughout its history long before we ever actually started building SUVs. Uh, it's just, it's hilarious to me to listen to these people. It's crazy. And, and we're watching this, uh, people that own the electric vehicles right now. When it gets this hot, they don't function very well. So how's that working for you? Um, <laughs> sometimes. Sometime we need to do a show on climate change. I'm not necessarily an expert on it, but like you, I've tried to stay in tune with the data and what's going on. There's a guy out there by the name of Calvin Beisner, and he is an expert, and I hold him in the highest regard. And um, he doesn't deny that the climate changes, but he wants to point to the real data, not the fudge data, not the politicized data, as to how the climate changes, and perhaps track it back to why. And one of the key factors in climate change, weather, is solar activity. When you have greater sunspot activity, guess what? The Earth gets hotter. When solar activity decreases and the sunspots are not as aggressive, the climate gets cooler. The correlation between solar activity and the Earth's temperature is the greatest correlation out there that you can find. It's far above any speculation with regard to anthropomorphic, i.e. man-caused climate change. Very, very good to hear. And I did not know about uh, Calvin Beisner, but I will look him up because I have a lot of others that I've saved. I have, you know, t- uh, statements and, and, and speeches and presentations and so on and so forth that do indeed address these things as well. And it is almost as simple as you just described it. Uh, but of course, the climatologists and those with a political agenda to advance, what do they do routinely? They silence those particular uh, climatologists. They they silence those who. Do. It's kind of like what they did with COVID. As a matter of fact, that'll lead us into our conversation. Uh, you know, with with respect to doctors who say no, wait a minute, that's not accurate as far as what COVID does, and as far as what these mRNA vaccines were going to do, and so forth. Um, anybody who disagreed with the prevailing narrative was silenced. So um, let's dive in, uh, Doctor Piper. We touched on this a little bit last week. Uh, you and I did about the um, um, uh, the why am I blanking on this? The the uh, the, uh, the, the MERS, MERS the MERS, yeah, not SARS, yeah. MERS, right? The MERS COVID, the other coronavirus that was you know first discovered uh, many years ago, and now that another case has been uh, has been um, revealed in the Middle East someplace, uh, you took it to the next level after what we chatted about briefly last week and wrote your entire piece this week on that and about what will happen based on what did happen with a virus that was 99% survivable, what will happen when the mortality rate is as high as 35%, with, which is what they're saying in MERS. So sorry about the, the awkward, clunky introduction, but that's what you wrote about this week. Can you give us a summary? 
Well, I'm going to be brief because we did talk about it quite a bit last week. But as I've said on your show before, I sometimes use our conversation as a springboard for what I write about in the Washington Times. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should give you credit for those columns. (laughs) Not at Um, all. I love that you do it, though. That's great. um, Okay. So the basic question that I asked last week is best predictor of future behavior is always past behavior. I really believe that that's an axiom that proves itself true over time. So look to the past on how an individual or a culture behaves as evidence of, as to how they're going to behave in the future. Uh, just, that's just common sense. All right, how did we behave when we were threatened with a virus that had a 99.5% survival rate? We all know that's true. And even if I'm exaggerating a little bit by putting the point five on there, let's just say it's 99% survivable. Nobody disputes that. Not even the left disputes the 99%. All right, how did we react? We let the government, Big Brother, Uncle Sam, shut us down. We let Joe Biden and Anthony Fauci, and frankly, Donald Trump was complicit with this at the beginning. We've got to admit that. We let the government tell us when we could go shopping and when we couldn't. We let them tell us that church was a non-essential activity. We let them tell us that we had to wear a piece of paper on our face called a mask, and that would protect us from death. We basically took the old... The old saying, give me liberty and give, or excuse me, give me liberty or give me death. And we turned it on its head and said, I fear death, so take my liberty. We allowed that to happen as a people. So we need to ask ourselves a question, whether it's this MERS variant that's coming out of the United Arab Emirates right now, or some other virus that hits the news that has a greater mortality rate than 1%. Well, this particular virus, depending on the data you look at, has a mortality rate between 12% and 35%. What in the world will the American people do when we're threatened with that type of virus? We better start talking about it now, and we better get prepared now, because preparation is necessary if you want to avoid an overreaction. We need to think about what we will do when the government comes in, and you've got a new Anthony Fauci that says you're all going to die if you don't do exactly what we tell you to do, and we're going to quarantine you. Gavin Newsom Newsom is going to put you in a gulag. He's going to hold you behind the fence until you're declared clean. And until that happens, we'll hold you with the National Guard behind gated fences, and if you try to escape, there's going to be severe consequences. You think that's crazy talk? If I would have said this in 2018, 19 on your show, you probably wouldn't have had me back. You would have said this guy's a little crazy. But we have to admit that that's the reality in which we live right now, and we've got to start thinking about and talking about what is our summum bonum? What is our highest good? What is our highest principle that we hold dear as a culture? Is it freedom or is it safety? And if it's safety, we're going to sacrifice our freedom on the altar of just doing what we're told to do okay now let's follow up on that because and go back to the first part which is the um the uh 99 uh, survivable covid 19 that we are uh, now supposedly in the rearview mirror from or it is in the rearview mirror rather uh because it is three years old and now that all the mandates have been lifted and so forth we think anyway that we're t- going to return to a little bit of normalcy come to find out that dr piper the mandates have not all gone away. As a matter of fact, let's go into your former realm as a university president. A report from No College Mandates that collected and uh, and assembled a list has uh, listed at least 104 colleges and universities that are still requiring COVID vaccinations for their students coming onto campus. And I would presume that presumably means incoming freshmen. 
They have not been there before. We are now in an age of non-COVID, if you will, or at least not. It is no longer a pandemic or listed even as an epidemic, but they are still requiring students to get jabbed in order to, to take classes on campus. If they're not, they have to take them from their, you know, from their homes and, and, and be online students. Can you believe that we are now three years past this nonsense and they are still doing it? Yeah, I can because the academy, the ivory tower is arrogant and the ivory tower, the university system has stopped thinking. Uh, you go. You, there was a time when you went to university, you went to college to learn how to be a critical thinker, and you were applauded for doing so, for challenging the narrative, for thinking outside the box, for asking good questions and seeking legitimate, thoughtful answers. That day's gone. Today, the academy is nothing but a parrot for political power. They just parrot what is popular out there, and they parrot the source of their funding, which is the federal government. That's just a fact. Um, the, the, now, this story is pertinent in your own backyard for all you folks there in Ohio, because there are several institutions from Ohio that are on that list of 100 that still require vaccination. It's also pertinent for this reason. Just two weeks ago, LeBron James's son had a cardiac arrest while he was on the basketball court practicing in a collegiate practice. Now, okay, Correlation isn't necessarily causation, but when you see all of these young, healthy, athletic men having cardiac arrests and myocarditis and various other unexplainable ailments which cause them to collapse on the court or the field, don't you think we ought to start asking questions about the data that shows that the vaccination is correlated with higher levels, dramatically higher levels, of cardiac illness? And yet these colleges and universities are going to force that jab on a bunch of 18-year-old baseball players, basketball players, soccer players, while they're coming into their institutions. Parents and students need to start suing these, these schools for doing this because it is unethical and it's immoral. Yeah, and you're 100% right. And just to follow up on that, one of the articles on the uh, – or one of the stories I should say contained in the article that I just cited – Dr. Marty McCarty, the professor from Johns Hopkins, uh, highlighted a study from Cedars-Sinai that found a 30% increase in what you just said, heart attack deaths among adults between the ages of 25 and 44 during the first two years of the COVID jabs. One theory is that the uptick could be the result of the virus itself, but McCarty said the evidence shows that it's the uh, not the vaccine, or excuse me, not the virus, but the vaccine that is to blame. And what you just said about LeBron James' son is a perfect example picture of health 18 years old college basketball star or, or incoming college basketball star uh you just it just doesn't happen it just doesn't happen that these elite athletes are dropping and falling uh, falling down uh with with cardiac events on the soccer pitch on the baseball field on the basketball court on the football field with the uh, with the at the rate that they are and just have it be coincidental this has never happened before at the rates that they are and they want to tell us that every kid who comes onto a college campus still has to take that jab knowing what it's and- doing to them it's just unconscionable and, and even more unconscionable, in my mind, is they want to tell us to stop asking questions. Just be an, an obedient lemming and follow the Pied Piper over the cliff. That's what they're suggesting, and that is antithetical to the academy. Shame on these universities Amen. for being closed-minded. 
I've got one more story on the uh, educational realm, which, of course, is in your wheelhouse, Dr. Piper, but I'm going to uh, skip over that and go to Ask Dr. E, I, I, because this is very, very interesting as well. Your Ask Dr. E column in the Washington Times this week, and again, I encourage everybody to make sure that you are reading this each week, um, is very, very interesting. And I won't read the whole question because it's lengthy, but um, it's the, the, the uh, writer asks you about the what-if conundrum. In other words, God made Adam and Eve one way in terms of their physical properties, their eyes, their hair, their skin, and so on and so forth, and yet look at the multitude of people today who have different variations of those things. If you can do that with physical properties, or if that can happen, then why not with gender? In other words, the gender spectrum isn't binary any more than the physical characteristics are based on the evolution of of human beings and their various characteristics. Go ahead and take it and tell us how you respond to that. Okay, just you need to give me instructions here. Are we taking a break? Do I need nope, to nope, gauge we, my... Nope, we got, we got three and a half minutes. They're yours. Okay, all right. Okay. Um, it, basically, this is the what-if question. Uh, what if? What if um, gender diversity is caused by the same thing that causes diversity of eye color, hair color, skin color. That's what he's asking. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think his question conflates some very different categories, and I'll get to that in a second. Hopefully I'll have time to get to that at the end of the three minutes. But basically, when people start asking these what-if questions like this particular person, I, okay, if you want to go down this what-if path, let's do it for just a second. Okay, what if the Supreme Court tells us tomorrow that it's legal and ethical for adults to have sex with 14-year-olds? Okay, is that okay? What if our major universities start teaching that necrophilia, for example, is simply another iteration of gender identity? Okay, what if Hollywood elites start portraying interspecies love as morally neutral? Oh, that'll never happen, everybody says. You're being, you're exaggerating. Okay, well, if you don't want to go down that path of what if, let's go down another path that's not sex-related. What if China does start practicing slavery with the Uyghurs? Uh, what if Western Europe declares euthanasia economically ne- uh, necessary for the old? What if a Princeton professor by the name of Peter Singer tells us that post-birth abortion is acceptable, if not necessary, for quality of life for both mother and child? Oh, oh, I get it. You know, I say this in my account. Those things aren't hypotheticals. Those what-ifs have become what-is, because that's already happening. So if you want to go down this path of what-if, you've opened up Pandora's box for us to talk about all these other what-ifs, both on the sexuality side of things and on the other side of the scale. And conflating eye color with God's moral standard of sexual fidelity? Come on, please, tell me anywhere in the Bible, any scripture reference, I'm just, I'll be quiet, I'll listen, where is there anything in the Bible that says that God cares one whit about the color of your eyes, whether they're brown, blue, black, or hazel? He doesn't care. There's no moral law that talks about the color of your eyes, color of your hair, or color of your skin. But there's a lot of stuff from Genesis to Revelation that talks about moral law, when it comes to sexual behavior. So he's conflating categories, and that's very unfortunate. And then he throws down that, well, what would Jesus do? Well, I think what Jesus would do is what we read about in Scripture. After all, isn't the Bible something that Jesus himself has inspired and given to us so that we can answer these what-if questions? We can answer answer them very clearly with what is in the Bible rather than these what-ifs that are hypothetical and play to political power and nothing but 
the arrogance of the human mind. You know, that's that's very well stated, uh, Dr. Piper, as almost all things that you give us are, but but especially in response to that, the idea that, that we can conflate God's moral law with the physical properties and characteristics and ask, what if, what if, what if, you know, and, and I'm, I'm often guilty of oversimplification, Doctor, tell me if this is oversimplifying it. There may be a gender spectrum, but it's simply called personality. Everybody has a personality, and any any person's personality can be just however they want to act, however they want to behave, however they want to present themselves. Because to me, that's all this is. Science says that there are just two uh, sexes. Science says there are two genders. God and the, the Bible says there are two genders. It is agreed upon. If there's any kind of confusion in the mind of a person, it's their personality that says, you know, I really don't feel like being this way. My personality tells me to be another way. Uh, that That's how I simplify it. Is it, is it too much? No, it's, it's not too much. And I think the KISS principle, keep it simple, stupid, is what we should go to all the time when answering complex questions. The simple answer here is there are two sexes. That's as obvious as the nose on your face. And any deviation from that reality and any behavior outside of God's moral standards is a choice. It is a choice to behave. It is not your identity. There's a huge difference between identity and inclination. You're not defined by your inclinations. They don't define you. You have a reality and an identity, and that identity is a fact. You can look in the mirror and see the facts. Just because you want to do something doesn't, that doesn't mean that's who you are. Dr. Everett Piper, read his entire response to that uh, letter writer on the Ask Dr. E column and all of his work by following him on Twitter at DrEverettPiper.com, D-R-Everett, just like you would think, Piper. Dot, or, I'm sorry, I'm giving the .com now. You have a website, DrEverettPiper.com, and... The Twitter handle is Dr. Everett Piper, just like it sounds like it would be spelled, D.R. Everett Piper. Make sure you follow him. Dr. Piper, thank you so much. I appreciate you very much. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Blessings. Bye-bye. All right. 1031. We'll take a time out here. We're going to come back with Dr. Carol Swain on whether or not slavery benefited the slaves. Yeah, that's the Florida question. We'll talk about that next on Always Ray Radio. the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the american dream always right radio with bob france on the answer 1037 as we continue thank you so much for being with us on always right radio so we're going on uh we're going on two weeks now of the extraordinary lies being told by the vice president of the united states kamala harris about curriculum in the state of florida new curriculum that was written in large part by one of the uh one of the wisest academics in the state of Florida and maybe in the country, Dr. William Allen, who is an African-American who is uh, pretty well qualified to write about American history, particularly the history of slavery. Kamala Harris has said that that curriculum written by the Ohio or excuse me, the uh, Florida Board of Education um, and directed by Governor Ron DeSantis uh, is alleging that slavery was good for slaves. That there were benefits to it. This was, this was somehow a, a positive experience. This is the kind of insanity that she has been repeating. She flew down to Florida to condemn them. But when challenged by Governor Ron DeSantis to a debate on the subject, she ran fleeing the scene, um, 
and I'll and I'll stop it there. She fled and said, "Nope, I have no reason to have that debate because I know that slavery was bad for slaves." Uh, it's interminably stupid, interminable stupidity, I should say, that seems to plague Kamala Harris. That is not what I would say about our next guest. She is a political scientist, commentator, a best-selling author, and uh, Dr. Carol M. Swain really uh, takes a backseat to no one when it comes to these very, very important issues. She joins us now to talk about the reality of that curriculum and the intent, uh, the agenda of uh, Kamala Harris and the radical left. Dr. Swain, it's good to have you back on the air here in Cleveland. Thank you for the time. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. What did you What did you first think about uh, when you heard Kamala Harris proclaim that this curriculum written by the Florida educators uh, to specifically uh, make an entire year-long unit of the issue of American slavery and slavery in North America when she immediately declared this to be a, a um, uh, an attempt to, to whitewash, if you will, the horrors of slavery, saying for some slaves it was good? I was not surprised because the Democrats look for every opportunity to racialize issues. Uh, we have an election year, you know, coming up in some parts of the country. Uh, their election is taking place now. And so politicizing anything that you can find, particularly when it relates to slavery, is a way for Democrats to try to push division between whites and blacks and Democrats and Republicans. You know, the division is the issue, right? I mean, isn't that essentially, Dr. Swain, what Marxist theory is all about? It's about dividing oppressors from uh, the oppressed, uh, or from the victims, if you will, Um, and whether it's by race, which it is in this case, it's kind of the core of critical race theory, and it's why I would imagine that the vice president and many on the radical left despise the the curriculum being put forth in Florida, because it, it, it uh, it takes away critical race theory and replaces it with actual American history. Right, and part of it is that it's a deliberate distortion. And if you want to look at who benefited from slavery, I would say that the race hustlers of today have benefited and continue to benefit from slavery. Uh, They exploit the situation. And used in, in their histories of America to point out the fact that there were black slaveholders, there were Native American slaveholders, as well as white slaveholders, and only a tiny percentage of white Americans held slaves. And it is the case that it was a black man who brought a case before the court involving his runaway black slave that resulted in slavery becoming permanent. Up up until the time of that case, Slaves had been treated as indentured servants, and so they served that period of indentureship. They learned trades that benefited themselves, and they became part of the free black population. I mean, that's real American history, and so clearly the people that learned those trades and were able to start businesses benefited, and uh, the black slaveholders, they gained wealth. They benefited, and then you have the race hustlers, benefiting from slavery today and so that is something that uh she certainly would not want to talk about 
That is a very, very great point. We're talking with Dr. Carol Swain. Dr. Swain is a university professor, and you have such a unique story, too. As a matter of fact, um, you list this on your website, too, talking about being born into poverty and being a high school dropout before going on to be an incredibly accomplished academic, uh, earning five degrees. Can you recall, uh, as you were growing up and in the school that you attended, um, how was slavery treated then? How was the uh, the coverage of in American history courses or classes that you took? How was that period in American history covered? Well, I remember Virginia history, and part of Virginia history uh, included a section on slavery in the history books. I don't remember anything remarkable about that section. I do remember at some point reading Booker T. Washington's Up from Slavery. And I believe that that book had an impact on my life. I was not raised to believe that I was disadvantaged because I happened to be black. We knew that we were poor, but there were also other poor people around. So I would say that most black people did not dwell on slavery. They did not see themselves as victims. I was taught that if you worked hard and got an education, you could make something of yourself. And so that's what I did. So compare that, and I'm so glad you had that, and you were, they were right, you were right, and it's right today, but that's not the message that is being given. Anytime somebody like yourself, a prominent African-American success story, says, if you work hard, you can make something of yourself, they say, don't give me that uh, pull yourself up by your bootstrap stuff. Uh, you know, most people can't do that. Don Lemon has said that, Whoopi Goldberg and others. How do you, it's very, very different messaging by a lot of very prominent African-American thought leaders and influencers today. What's so sad is that even of the slaves, the former slaves that came out of the Reconstruction era, many of them became very successful. Some of them became millionaires. And when Black Wall Street was built in Oklahoma, that was 60 years after the end of slavery, the black community was so prosperous that they developed a community that became the envy of all around and the talk of the whole nation. And this was done without affirmative action, without government set aside. This was something that black people did. And I'm sure that when it came to finances, there were white people that came along beside them because white philanthropists have always supported, I would say, black people, black schools, that there's always been a lot of um, intermingling or cooperation between blacks and whites. And so the true story of America is a story of people coming together across racial and ethnic lines to accomplish things. When the left talks about slavery, they conveniently leave out the abolitionists. They leave out the white people that risk their lives by setting up the Underground Railroad and participating in that. And so there's so much that they don't tell. They don't tell how the um, white philanthropists set up schools for black people across the South, that there was so much private philanthropy that made Booker T. Washington's uh, Tuskegee experiment work and George Washington Carver and all of these people that were able to accomplish great things, including Frederick Douglass, They accomplished great things, but they also had support from white people. So that's a part of American history that they don't want to talk about. They also don't want to talk about the fact that schools in New England uh, and 
Harvard University in particular did not discriminate against blacks. And so Harvard University uh, admitted its first black in 1869. W.E.B. Du Bois, who got his Ph.D. in 1933, was a Harvard graduate. And so if you look at um, at Harvard alumni, they've always had blacks that met their standards long before affirmative action, long before DEI. The tale that the left is telling about black incompetence, black inability to, to do math, flies in the face of stories like Hidden Figures, where you have black women who were mathematicians working on uh, the science the NASA project. We are talking with Dr. Carol Swain and getting a phenomenal education as we do. She is a, a, a renowned author, a historian, and a retired university professor. Um, you mentioned affirmative action a couple of moments ago, too, and the welfare state when talking about um, Black Wall Street. And it sounds like what you're saying is is that affirmative action, because of the accomplishments of that, you know, that prosperous black community, uh, happened before, um, you know, the Civil Rights Act and before affirmative action and those things. Are you saying that affirmative action on balance and and the welfare state, the assistance, et cetera, of the black community was a was an overall negative to the black community? Would you say that? I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that they were able to accomplish great things without government set aside. That it was people's hard work, ingenuity, creativity. Uh, There was black entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. You think about the Harlem Renaissance and just the flourishing that took place in cities where you had black-owned businesses. All of that took place uh, in a situation where you did not have help coming from the government. And when it comes to affirmative action, it came out of the civil rights uh, movement of the 1950s and 1960s. And the purpose originally of the civil rights movement was non-discrimination, equal opportunity. And non-discrimination, equal opportunity, those were the original goals. And if you actually look at history, it was white male elites, many of them Republicans, who pushed for uh, affirmative action and racial preferences and quotas. And so, I mean, that's the uh, the true history there. Mm-hmm. I would say that for myself, I was 11 years old when the Civil Rights Act of 1964 passed. In the 1970s, I would say that I benefited from non-discrimination, outreach, equal opportunity, and the desire of people of goodwill who wanted to see other people succeed and I had an equal opportunity to succeed or an equal opportunity to fail and it turned out that I worked hard I did succeed there were other people that failed and one reason that some of them failed was because affirmative action eventually became a program where people especially students were placed into situations where they were not prepared for myself I have five degrees. The first one is from a community college. I took remedial math. I worked to get my first degree at a community college, and then I transferred to a four-year college, and I graduated magna cum laude. And that was because I was working, you know, my butt off. 
Of course you were. And, you know, that's why the left despises people like you so much, because your story is one that says, I can do it. All I wanted was equal opportunity. I'll do the rest. They don't like that. They they don't want equal opportunity. They insist on equality of outcomes, which, of course, is where the, the equity comes in. And that's just not guaranteed of anybody, no matter what your race is, right? Well, well, while we're talking, I would like to announce that I have a new book that is scheduled to be released on August 15th, uh, I believe next week or, or the week after, mm-hmm. and the title is The the Adversity of Diversity, How Real Unity Training Can Promote Healing in a Post-Affirmative Action World. And one of the things that I argue is that the DEI programs in America, that they are unconstitutional, that they violate the Civil Rights Act, and that these programs um, uh, have an expiration date, and because of the Supreme Court's ruling in the affirmative action cases, there are going to be more and more lawsuits because of CRT and DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion programs, that discriminate against whites, that discriminate against males, that discriminate against heterosexuals, that this discrimination uh, has to will come to an end or has to come to an end because they clearly, these programs clearly violate the law in most situations. And so people are filing lawsuits successfully. So in the book, I talk about the history of affirmative action and just how it morphed into this aggressive DEI and CRT and uh, this push, this division, uh, Marxism, has come to rest on top of old-fashioned affirmative action. The Civil Rights Act not, is not being followed. The um, Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution, that's being violated. But the good news is that you can have diversity without discriminating against anyone, and that companies and organizations can get back to their original purpose. They have been distracted. They have been distracted by the left that have pushed uh, them into areas where they really are not equipped and where they are putting uh, themselves at risk. They're putting themselves at risk because they're violating the law, they're violating the Constitution, and people are not going to stand for this to continue, and the court has given them grounds now that they can actually take action to defend themselves. One quick follow-up, Dr. Carol Swain, on what you just said. We can have diversity without discriminating against anyone, and I love that, and you're 100% right. But again, those who would criticize you don't want that. Those who believe in, quote-unquote, anti-racism believe that there must be discrimination against some. There must be punishment as a form of, of, of making up for or reparations, if you will, for past discrimination. We must have present discrimination in order to advance uh, diversity. That's what they want. That is what they want, and it is very much Marxist-based. It's about conflict, and I would argue that the white progressives that are pushing division between homosexuals and heterosexuals, blacks and whites, blacks and Hispanics, Hispanics and whites, all these things that are being pushed, that they really don't care about the group. They don't care about transgenders. They care about disrupting American society. Their ultimate goal is to bring down America not to eliminate discrimination and inequality because they themselves engage in 
discrimination and inequality when it serves their purposes. Dr. Swain, I'm glad you told me about the title of your book that's coming up on August 15th. As soon as you did, I typed it into my browser in front of me right now, and I can't find it. Um, Adversity of Diversity, um, is it going to be available on your website? I don't see it on Amazon. No, no, it's going to be available wherever books are sold. And it's up on Amazon, but they don't have it as available. So the release date is August 15th. Yeah, usually they have it on Amazon. The release date is August 15th. Yeah, I, I thought it might be available for pre-order. I was hopeful that, that it there's... should be available for pre-order uh, uh, next week. Okay, and yeah, I'm I... just mentioning it for people to have to be on the lookout. That's the whole reason I want to make sure it's there. Um, uh, because, like, right now, when I type in Carol Swain on Amazon, Carol Swain Books, they, it has your most recent prior to this, which is Black Eye for America. No, but... if you put in the adversity of diversity, adversity of diversity. it will come up. Okay, but it's I... not for sale yet. And Got I'm it. proud to report that Alan Dershowitz wrote the foreword for the book. That's awesome. I just wanted to make sure you weren't being canceled. That's the whole reason I checked, because sometimes no, no, books I, by I people like you so. and books by people <laughs> by people like Mark Levin, they don't get posted and they don't make, become made available on some of these sites that are a little bit, uh, let's just say, left of center. So I want to make sure people can find that book. So uh, Adversity of Diversity comes out on August 15th, as she just said, should be available for pre-order next week. I hope people can find that. Dr. Carol Swain, thank you for the great work that you do. I'm looking forward to reading this book as well. And once I do. I'd love to have you back on and talk more about it. That'd be great. Thank you so much. Thank have you. a good day. Thank you. God Bye. bless you. That's Dr. Carol Swain uh, bringing some truth to a uh, situation of lies, quite frankly, being pushed by Kamala Harris and the radical left about race in America and about coverage of slavery, uh, true African-American history as a part of American history and everything that Florida is doing the right way. Uh, so thanks to Dr. Carol Swain. We'll take a time out i got news coming up at the top. On the other side, back into issue one. We have just a few days left to vote early, and then obviously election day is on Tuesday. Vote yes on issue one. Shannon Burns, Strongsville GOP, is going to join me to talk about a special get-out-the-vote rally coming up on Monday and a a guest that you might be interested in uh, coming up. So I'll let him tell you who that is right here on AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three, underway, 10 minutes past 11 o'clock. Welcome back to those who listen via the uh, stream. 
We always tell people if you have any problems getting the uh, radio station inside of the buildings where you might be and the reception just isn't outstanding for the signal, we always tell you you can listen to it on the app, the free mobile app, 1420 The Answer. Just look for that. You can listen to it on uh, uh, your phone by way of just whkradio.com or your computer. You can do uh, with the uh, uh, with the uh, in-home virtual assistance, you know, the Alexas and the Googles and all that crap, just tell it to find AM1420, The Answer Cleveland, and you will uh, be able to listen. But the streams have been down this morning. We're having all kinds of outages. I'm not truly much of a conspiratorial guy. I mean, I have a few things that I kind of scratch my head about, but typically not uh, conspiratorial. But I'll tell you what, we are in a very, very important time right now, and it's a very, very, almost the deadline in the Issue 1 situation. We're covering as in-depth as anybody, I think, on the national shows could cover uh, the uh, first family of crime, the Biden family, with Devin Archer dropping the A-bomb earlier this week, uh, the indictment of President Trump on January 6th charges, the insanity thereof. All of these things we have been doing, people don't want to hear, and they don't want other people to hear either because we're telling the truth, the other side of the story. So I can't help but, even though I'm not a conspiratorial guy, I cannot help but but wonder if uh, some of the outages are not are, are not interruptions, are not hacks um, to silence certain voices. Uh, that's just a guess. Like I said, it's just something that I wonder. But thanks for being with us on this Thursday. It's the third morning of the eighth month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Before I get to our next guest, indulge me, if you would, as I just kind of flex on something of which I'm very, very proud. You know the, 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 the Hunters in the Basement song? It has gone just mega viral. I wrote that thing at my kitchen table on my laptop in about, I don't know, 20, 25, 30 minutes. I wrote that song just as a goof, a parody of what's going on with Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. And, uh, you know, and I asked my guy, uh, Dale Officer, to sing it, and he did. And then he said, I need another voice in it. And he got Johnny Hiles, and he did. And, and we just threw that thing out there, and I uploaded it uh, about a month ago. It has been seen millions of times throughout social media sites. Uh, over one million on one Instagram site alo- uh, or a, a feed alone. Uh, I, I'm watching hundreds of thousands of views at a time on Twitter. Hundreds of thousands of views uh, and uh, 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 listens on Rumble. And on YouTube as well. And I don't even have it posted any of those places. Other people have grabbed that from because I took it down. Once it was posted, people have grabbed it and shared it. It is just everywhere. And I'm very, very proud of that. And I want you to know that uh, we have made it available specifically to you to put on your own phone. I do not have it shared anywhere else. It is being shared on the Internet. But it's not something that I'm doing. Uh, And I want you to know if you want your official download of Hunters in the Basement. You can get it at uh, whkradio.com on the homepage. Click on the Hunters in the Basement tab or on uh, my page, on the uh, podcast page. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I'm very, very proud of that. I love the fact that it is inspiring so many people. Some of the comments are hilarious. People wanting it to be number one on the Billboard charts. People saying Donald Trump should be playing this to lead his rallies. Uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. So uh, if you are if you are uh, interested in sharing it as well, please do it the official way, not the non-official way. Go to uh, whkradio.com, whkradio.com, and uh, my page, and download Hunters in the Basement for yourself and uh, and have a little bit of fun with it. I mean, it's a parody song, but it mimics real life. 
Uh, either that or real life is mimicking the parody song. I don't know which, but I do know that they are two peas in a pod. They are Apple not falling far from the tree, Chip falling far off the block uh, between Hunter and Joe Biden. So uh, make sure that you uh, you check that out. All right. Um, I mentioned I had uh, a guest coming up. First, we had Dr. Uh, Everett Piper. Then we had Dr. Carol Swain. And now we have Dr. Shannon Burns, GOP, uh, Strongsville GOP, joining us for another last minute uh, heading into the weekend push for issue one on Tuesday, August 8th, and a big event coming up to get out the vote on uh, on Monday. Shannon Burns, thanks for joining us on AM 1420 The Answer. What's going on, sir? You tell me. My goodness, so much is going on, but thank you for having me. And as always, uh, love listening to your show every day, and that song is amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm uh, I'm really, really excited that so many people love it. I just need people to go ahead and get it off of the webpage. So, so Shannon, um, uh I've been teasing it a few different times this morning when I told people you were coming on that there's a special guest coming to town to help crank up votes on Monday in advance of Tuesday's official election day. Uh, what news have you got for us? Well, you did a great job teasing it as well. So there is a, a really special guest that's coming in and joining us on Monday morning for what we're deeming a, a rise and shine rally. Uh, it'll be 8 a.m. over in Parma. I'll give you all the details. But uh, we're going to have none other than Arizona's own Carrie Lake is going to be joining us on Monday morning. The should-be, uh, would-be uh, governor of Arizona, Carrie Lake, she's coming to the, Cleveland? Yeah, she she will be the governor of Arizona, absolutely. And she's <laughs> going to be here. <laughs> yeah, first of all, let's, let's honor that as appropriately she should be and yes she should already be the governor uh and she's coming to town to help uh drum up uh support that's right you know everyone not just in ohio but nationwide recognize how important it is that we fight back these leftist billionaires that are trying to effectively buy a policy in ohio and uh, she recognized that and coming in and and hopefully get even more attention than than everyone has already had towards this issue and let's get this room packed. Great new facility over in uh, Parma. It's actually our, our friends over at Parma Armory have built a new uh, venue, a uh, sort of a wedding venue behind their building. And uh, they are gracious enough to provide it for this uh, rally. And we are going to have uh, the, the soon-to-be governor, Carrie Lake, at 8 a.m. Um, on Monday morning. Try to get uh, our folks pumped up so that they'll get their friends and families to get out and vote the next day. 8 a.m. on Monday at the Parma Armory. and Is there an address you can give us, or will people just know where to go for the armory? Yeah, let me, let me give you the actual address. So it's behind okay. it. The The address is actually 5313 Hauserman Road Okay. in Parma. 5313 and, uh, Hauserman to... Road, and Monday at 8 o'clock. Try to get there early. Obviously, people are going to be going to work. If you can stop off in here. She's a dynamic speaker. She's such an incredible presence, and she was uh, just as much robbed, I believe, of her go- uh, governorship in uh, in Arizona as President Trump was of his presidency. I couldn't agree more. She is so dynamic, and, and when she talks and she explains issues, uh, people really resonate with her. Uh, clearly not enough for the stolen votes that happened in Arizona, but uh, that'll get remedied by itself as well. I think she's fighting hard and, and hasn't stopped. She's continued to fight to make certain that you know, that those issues in Maricopa County are solved for our next presidential uh, victory that happens in 24. Um, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say we'd want everyone, if they could, if you're going to try to attend, 
just to go to strongsvillegop.org and sign up for your free ticket there. So we make sure there will be a sellout. There will be a a limited number of people to be able to attend. So we want to make sure that everyone has uh, a ticket uh, coming up to it. Uh, So that's good. So strongsvillegop.org, you said, is where they can get it? That's right. You can go in and get so, yeah, so it's, it's a free ticket, but still, nonetheless, uh, so let's a, let's address the elephant in the room here, Shannon, about this. She's not an Ohioan. Uh, we have been complaining. Those of us who are yes, Ohio, yes for Ohio, you have a yes on issue one. Uh, you know, been talking about the fact that out of state special interests are ones trying to buy their way into the Constitution. They have no business in this, and yet here comes Carrie from Arizona. So you know that's what they're going to say. How do you respond to them and say why is a non-Ohioan here uh, meddling in Ohio uh, affairs? Well, I think it's really simple. She recognizes just like we do that. Out-of-state billionaires, uh, specifically California billionaires, are trying to buy this election. It was the, of the money raised by the no portion, the no campaign, only 16% was raised from in-state. In fact, more dollars were raised from California, from California billionaires, than all of Ohio. And Carrie Lake recognizes that this fight is not just inside of Ohio. This is the same fight that's happening everywhere, and it's the same efforts that or one out to get her and in, in, in affect, you know, illegally her election, but also other places around the nation. Uh, and it's also really important for figures within the conservative movement to lend the support. I think it's an appropriate thing. I think it's great that other leaders in the conservative movement are out and drawing some attention to a topic that just needs attention. That's really what it comes down to is we need everyone to pay attention between now and Tuesday and get out to vote on Tuesday. Yeah, and you know, Shannon, I, I concur. Um, the, the the message that I've been sharing on the radio and in speeches is is that you know this is an Ohio centric issue, obviously, but it's not only an Ohio issue. This is an attempt by you know a national Marxist movement to fundamentally transform America. Uh, they cannot do it uh, all in one blanket, you know, one fell swoop. So they're going state by state. Ohio is targeted here as one of the key states, but it's not the only state. This movement. To enshrine abortion, for example, a radical uh, 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 extremist abortion bill, one of the worst in the country, to have abortion on demand any time for any reason and so forth that they want to put in starting in November. They're doing this in Ohio, but they're doing this in a lot of other states as well. And once the dominoes start to fall, the belief is that it will indeed pick up speed. So... Um, People in other states do have a vested interest, in my opinion, in defending the Ohio Constitution, even like somebody like Carrie Lake, because she knows that this is something that's going to impact, yes, our state, but our whole country, if this is allowed to happen all over the place. So standing up in, you know, in unity with people trying to protect the, the, the sovereignty of the Constitution and not put it up for sale, not let it be so easily amendable to the point of 50% and only half of the counties being represented in signature processes. You know, these kinds of things do affect uh, uh, people across the country, and that's why I have no problem whatsoever with Carrie Lake coming in. No, uh, no problem at all. And, and you know, if, if it wasn't uh, obvious before, we all saw, you know, Cleveland's own boy mayor 2.0, uh, Justin <laughs> did come out uh, and, and say the quiet part out loud just last week, right? That, you know, of course, they're doing this, they're trying to fight issue one. Uh, for an immediate effect for their radical abortion policy they're trying to push. Well, but, well, well you know, Shannon, the Shannon, boy... 
Shannon, allow, allow me, just for those who don't know and who don't know about this. Conservatives PAC sent an email to gun owners in support of issue one. And the email stated, leftists are attempting to enshrine abortion in the state's constitution. If they are successful, next year it will be gun control. Can you assure Ohio gun owners that there will not be a proposal to infringe on Second Amendment rights? I'm not privy to any information about uh, upcoming initiatives that may or may not be proposed. I'm going to give you a quick 15-second follow-up. Can you assure voters, though, that there will not be an assault on Second Amendment rights? Listen, I'm not going to stand here and make assurances for issues that I'm not aware may or may not come forward. We're going to give you a minute, uh, Secretary LaRose, to respond. To- yes, gun control that would take away the individual right to keep and bear arms. There are groups that actively want to put that in the Constitution. I'm not privy to any information about uh, upcoming initiatives. A few moments later. We can use our real political power to change the the culture of guns in this state. It starts by voting no on issue one, by the way, uh, to make sure we can maybe put a ballot measure on our state constitution to have common sense gun reform. A ballot measure, a ballot measure, a ballot measure on our state constitution to have common sense gun reform. So uh, there's the uh, Cleveland's boy mayor. Uh, Justin Bibb, that you just pointed out, responding almost as if it was asked of him as Allison Russo denied any knowledge whatsoever of any movements to uh, to put gun control in the Ohio Constitution. Here comes Justin Bibb saying, yeah, we're doing that. Yeah, yeah. Boy Mayor 2.0 is, is right at it. And obviously he is already, so his supporters try to vote down on issue one and his next move, he claims out loud, tells everyone, uh, is going to be to put gun control measures inside of our Constitution. And you know, we need to make certain that that is not easily done. You know, we should not be able to just, at a whim, change our state Constitution. And, and the boy mayor 2.0 is really interested in doing that. Yeah, we keep calling him the boy mayor. What is he, about 15, 16? Because that's kind of what he looks like, for crying out loud. Uh, go ahead. What's amazing, Bob, is that the original boy mayor, Dennis Kucinich, now looks like a moderate <laughs> in the Democrat <laughs> Party. You see him sitting sitting behind that's RFK true. Jr. in Congress, and, and he looks like a moderate. This was the guy that was for the division, the, uh, the, the instead of the Defense Department, the Department of Peace. And now he looks like a moderate in the modern-day uh, Democrat Party. So boy mayor 2.0... Uh, Clearly, is just like Democrat Party 2.0, which is the uh, the leftist agenda that is not recognizable to uh, you know, most Clevelanders' recognition of the Democrat Party. Yeah, that, that's so. That's so funny. You're right. He does next to the the radicals that we have leading this city and so many members of the Democrat Party now. So, <laughs> anyway, Shannon Burns, I'm so glad uh, that we're putting our. Uh, this is my last uh, live appeal to push people to to vote for and pass issue one because uh, we've got uh, uh, Dakota Sawyer's going to host for me tomorrow along with George Satari and uh, Steve Krause and the Monday Night Roundtable crew. Then uh, Khalid Namara on Monday, Peter Kersenow on actual election day Tuesday. So this is my last push for it live. I'll continue to. 
do it on social media uh, during my break. But I will tell uh, I will tell everyone to get to uh, the Parma Armory on Monday. Carrie Lake will be there, inspiring people and imploring them to do what has to be done to protect our constitution in the state and not let it be sold out to special interest groups who can't get what they want through the legislative process. Who are trying to turn our representative republic into a direct democracy and go right to the constitution for everything that's what's on the line and carry uh carry lake will uh, will clearly uh, uh articulate that on monday so parma armory what well, i think you said 5313 hauserman right 53, that's right 5313 hauserman and then tickets are required so uh, make sure you go to strongsvillegop.org and get your free tickets uh, because we will sell out for this event I believe that in a, in, a, in a blink of an eye. So get to Strongsville GOP and get your tickets for that event. And then, yes, get out there and make sure. You know, uh, Shannon, what we talked about, we had about 300 people or so in the uh, uh, Brexville uh, uh, Event Center uh, this past Monday. And uh, we told everybody there, you know, it's great that you are here. Now, your job is to go out and find five other people, five other people, and explain the things that you have learned here. Make sure that confusion is turned into clarity and make sure that people who are waning or, or not waning, wavering, rather, and just not quite sure whether they should vote yes or no. And if they're not sure, maybe they're just going to stay home because they don't know which side to go on in this. Explain to them why yes is the right way to do it. So I want everybody uh, listening right now who's a part of Strongsville GOP or anybody else Who's, you know what? It's not even partisan. If you're a Democrat but you just truly believe in the Constitution, we will take that support as well, uh, no matter who you are. But tell other people, bring them with you. Let's take what they predict to be a very low turnout vote election and turn it into something major and get out there and publicly support and defend the Ohio Constitution from being bastardized by those with the wealth and the means to do it. Uh, Shannon Burns, I know you're working very hard on that, too. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate everything you do. You got it. There you go. 1127. Bring a friend. Get get the tickets, like he said, at Strongsville GOP. But bring a friend to listen to Carrie Lake. And then you know what you do after you listen to Carrie Lake? On Monday at the Parma Armory, 5313 Hauserman Road, you know what you do? You leave that, that rally, and you go right to the Board of Elections, and you vote. That's what you do. Don't wait till Tuesday. Don't wait. Get it done. Get it done early. Get it done today. Get it done tomorrow. Get it done Saturday. Get it done Monday. Whatever you have to do to make sure that vote is in banked early so you don't have to take any chances on anything goofy happening to you on Election Day. It's 1128. We'll be back. About you now. Backbeat. The word is on the street that the fire in your heart is out. I'm sure you've heard it all before, but you never really This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Ford King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. I was just uh, trying to share on social media <clears throat> during that short break there. The link to the uh, 12 minutes or so, part one of the uh, link, link the interview that Tucker Carlson did with Devin Archer. The best part about it is, I said this at the top of the show too, is uh, too, or as well, is that Fox News can't even acknowledge it even happened. I mean, it's a huge, huge story. I mean, Archer's atomic bomb, the A bomb that he dropped on the first family of crime when he testified on Monday, uh, was was enormous. 
Tucker's, he did that testimony before, under oath before the uh, House Oversight Committee, as you know, behind closed doors. Tucker then gets a one-on-one with him to go much more in depth on, on what was said and what he knows. He blows the lid off of everything that Joe Biden has lied about with respect to uh, working with his son on overseas business deals or even talking to his son about overseas business deals. It's just enormous. And Fox News has to pretend it doesn't even exist because then they would have to acknowledge that Tucker Carlson, whom they fired, is still doing broadcasting. He's just doing it on Twitter as a private Twitter user. Tucker is getting news that Fox News can't touch. Fox News can't even acknowledge it. Acknowledge it exists. It's hilarious. Uh, but there's a, it's something I just posted on my uh, Facebook page. So uh, if you are Facebook friends of mine, I make them public so you can uh, watch most of these things and check most of these things out. Anyway, if you missed that interview between Tucker and Devin Archer, it's uh, listed and posted now on my Facebook page. And I'll put it on Always Right Radio Facebook page as well. I'll put it on my True Social. I'll put it on my, my Twitter as well because it's just hilarious. We have it. Tucker has it. Fox News can't have it. And I just think that's, uh, that's awesome. Uh, speaking of the first family of crime, by the way, uh, I think it's time to give this one more plug. It's it's a viral sensation. People are downloading this like crazy, and it is being shared all over the place. And uh, you want it, you should get it at whkradio.com, whkradio.com. Click on Hunters in the Basement for uh, the viral sensation. It is. Looks like we had a little double double play there. Child called me up just the other day. He said, Dad, I need some crack. Can you help me today? And I had lots of cash, but bills to pay. He said, Don't worry, Dad, I'll find another way. He was smoking for I knew it, and away he flew, saying, I'm gonna be like you, Dad. You know I'm gonna be like you. And hunters in the basement with a silver spoon. The hookers and drugs were gonna be there soon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when I'll be good and high by then, Dad Yeah, I'll be good and high by then Picking through rugs, um, smoking anything that even remotely resembled crack cocaine I'm very proud of my son My son came around just the other day He said, I got me a deal where we can both get paid Can I trade on your name? I said, sure, okay Will anyone know? He said, no, no way And as he walked away, he looked kind of dim And said, I'm gonna be like him, yeah You know I'm gonna be like him He's, he's fixed it, he's worked on it And Hunter's in the basement with a silver spoon Your cranium bribes were gonna be there soon When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when I'll put aside your ten percent, Dad I'll always have your ten percent what are you doing? I said, Dad, I'm fine. He said, you're not fine. I know how to game the system. Come on. Come on. Well, he came from Kiev just the other day. Had a smile so big I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. How's our cash supply? He nodded his head and said, great big guy, but what I really need, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. You can take the vet, but watch the boxes, please. And Hunter's in the basement with a silver spoon Classified papers all over the room 
When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. I'm getting good and high again, Dad. I'm getting good and high again. He pointed out the reason why he regrets it is he didn't anticipate that that folks like Giuliani would use it to, in fact, try to embarrass his father. Yes, they are. The flat bugs. Come on. This guy is a dog whistle about as big as a foghorn. I stole an election and my son moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, you owe some cash. I want my cut today. He said, calm down, Dad. You know it's on the way. But my laptop is gone and now it's on you. And now we're both really screwed, Dad. And now we're both gonna be screwed. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me He was damn near dumber than me My boy was dumb as me And there was Hunter in the basement with a silver spoon All of our crimes were coming out real soon When's it all in, son? I don't know when But we're gonna end up in the pen, Dad We're both gonna be in the pen I am absolutely certain 100% sure that at the end of the investigation, that I will be clear of any wrongdoing. God save the queen, man. So, uh, yeah, I just, uh, <clears throat> I just uh, can't get over how uh, popular this thing has gotten. Like I said, it was just done on a whim. I wrote it on just, I saw one meme, and I wrote that thing on just a. Uh, Hey, let's let's take it to the next level. The little meme showed side by side Joe and Hunter, and and the little meme caption said something like, um, uh, you know. And then I realized my boy was just like me. Obviously, a play on on uh, that song. And so I said, let's just do the whole song. And then I got some tremendously talented people to record it, and uh, and away we go. So uh, it's available to you, and I encourage you to share it as much as you can. Get it and share the link so that other people can download it, too. The link is available at whkradio.com, whkradio.com on my page and on the home page. All right, uh, quick phone call in here before the uh, uh, end of the broadcast today and uh, before I turn it over to Dakota and the team tomorrow. And um, unfortunately, my screen seems to have frozen here. Uh, Johnny? Jo- Joanne in Twinsburg is going to be up here. Joanne, uh, thanks for waiting. Joanne, fire away. Well, you know, I, I don't get it, Bob. You know, you think you're the president and you get to take time off? You know, I mean, he's only had 80 days off this year so far. I mean, and it's not even the eighth month, practically. I mean, come uh, on. I know. But you're besides right. that, Slacking. do you know who the resistance chicks are? Yeah. Down in Hamilton County, well, they're on American Sunrise on Real America's Voice because I cannot watch the world's dumbest female anchor on Fox and Friends <laughs> any longer. Um, but they were shouting out loud, if you live in Ohio, please make sure you vote yes on issue one. I mean, they well, went through I the wanna, whole thing. I want to I mean, join that were, shout, Joanne. Let's do that. Thanks for the call. Let's all do that together. Vote yes on issue one. I'll see you when I get back. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Bye-bye.